To those who are going to listen to this later because they're homesick, thanks for not bringing it to the rest of us. Um, but no, for real, we miss you guys. And um, like, I just want to say this up front: Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Anthony could have put on that first song? We'll, we'll do it again. We'll promise. We'll do it again. This will be fun. We're we are in week two of this not happiness series because let's just be honest: um, happiness is fleeting. Right? One minute you're like, hey, this brings me a lot of joy. I got the new iPhone 24. It's going to be great. And then next thing you know, three months later, they're like, hey, we got the iPhone 37 now. We're like, what happened to the other 10 right, before this? And like, it, happiness is always fleeting. Right? We always want the next best thing or the next best relationship, and it always just seems to never work out. You with me? And last week we started this, this series that we, where we were looking through the book of Philippians, looking at what jo- where our joy comes from, and what we realized is, is that it's found in whose we are, right? Like even like the book of Philippians is written from a guy. He's, not, he's our friend, it's our friend Paul, right? And like, you're, like Philippians is known as the book of joy. I mean, Philadelphia or where Philippians it is known for what? The city of brotherly love, right? Hopefully I got that right. Like, so it's, it's like this, there's just like, like, there's this whole feeling of joy that surrounds even just the word Philippians. But the crazy thing, the author, our friend Paul, is at the moment, while he's writing these down, in jail, shackled, shackled to the most elite of soldiers. I'm talking about the, bat, the baddest of the baddest. Like, they've done more push-ups than you have, ever. You with me? Like, they're the, they're the, the like, they're, they're like the, the personal bodyguards to, to the emperor and to the, to the Roman guard. Like, to the, like it's just ridiculous who, who he's chained to. But we have this insight from, from Paul, like in the very first chapter, I don't know if you remember it. But in Philippians 1.12, this is what he says. He says, and I want you to know, dear ones, talking to us, what has happened to me has not hindered but helped my ministry of preaching the gospel. You being in jail has helped? What are you talking about? Uh, what? You're not even mad about it? But it's helped my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to expand and spread to many people. It, like it even goes on to say, even to the prison guards, like even while he's shackled, he's like, well, while you're here, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. Like Paul doesn't lose his joy in the midst of his situation or his circumstance, which actually leads us to the, to, 
to this great point that we brought up last week, and it's this, is that how you view your situation will be the expression your life portrays. Like if you're always gloomy, which is the oxymoron of the very term Christian, your, your life is going to portray that. Is your life, if you're, is the life you're living leading others toward joy that is found in Christ or pushing people away from him? Because once we realize whose we are, that we are in Christ, whose work on the cross saves us, sustains us, and completes us, then we will be settled with true, lasting joy and not happiness. Now, we're in week two, and now that we know that truth, how does it affect or how does it change the way we live our lives, right? Like there's no need in knowing that if, we, if it doesn't change anything about us or how we live our life. It should change something in us, change how we live and interact with each other. It should change, or we can say it like this in this time for today, it should rewire our mind. It should cause us to think differently, act differently, be different, like look different than the rest of the world. You know, to be in the world but not of the world. Like it should cause us not to be in it, it should keep us in it and keep us anchored, keep us stable, but it, we shouldn't look like it. You with me? So let's see what it looks like to have a rewired mind. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. Look how much encouragement you have found in your relationship with the anointed one. Anybody encouraged about the relationship with the anointed one? You are filled with overflowing, you are, you are, you are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have, ex, you have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. Here's the great thing about realizing whose we're in and, and, and whose we are, that he, he saves us and sustains us and completes us. Like when we are in Christ, we have this fixed joy in our lives because we live with encouragement knowing the hardships of this life are not all there is. We know that the best is yet to come. We've said it like that often, right? That's why first thing off the bat in, the, in this chapter, Paul points out like, are you not encouraged by the joy that you have in Christ? Encouraged. Encouraged to know that no matter how bad this life sucks, and there's days where it does suck, right? I mean, if your life doesn't suck, it's sucked, it hadn't sucked at some point this week, then come talk to me because I want to know your deal. Okay, I want to know what you're on or two, what you found out. Because life is going to suck, but even in the midst of the hardships, in the midst of the darkness, we can live at peace and with encouragement because of whose we are because of our relationship with him because he has promised us and if he if he was faithful to his promises in the past we can say you know what there's going to be a day where all the hardships in life are gone there's going to be a day when all the wrongs will be made right every burden will be lifted and then and realize that our lives did matter for something we can live with encouragement but it also says and i love this part that when we are in christ we live with christ's comforting love Knowing that we live with Christ's comforting love, knowing in our darkest point of sadness, his love embraces us through his Holy Spirit. Like right now, as a believer, in the midst of your darkness, that little tender compassion that you feel, that little like you feel like somebody's with you feel, that is the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit saying, that's the Holy Spirit saying, I'm with you. Your, your Savior sent me there to comfort you. John 14, 16 and 17, 16 and 17 um, John records Jesus' actual words, his promise to us about this. 
He said this, he said, because, well, sorry, sorry, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit of truth. It's something about truth that is comforting. You with me? Like people sometimes, like, I don't want to hear the truth. Well, the truth will set you free, and freedom comes from comfort. Like, this, like the truth is, it's not really about you, right? So we can breathe a little bit. <sighs> Take the weight off. You know, right? The Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me. Huh. And he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him, but you know him intimately because he remains with you and will live inside of you. This is the promise that we have. In the midst of the darkness, the reason we can have encouragement is because of who we are. And we can have peace and we can have comfort in the midst of darkness because of who he has put in us. So now that we have this, now that we know this and we have this, how do we live in the midst of all that? Since we have this encouragement, it's because we're in Christ, and now that we have this spirit, how should we live? And I'm glad you asked because Paul tells us, and it's going to be a hard pill to swallow for 99.999% of us. Because you, you, some of us in here don't like people. You with me? You in here don't like people sometimes? All right, here we go. This is what Philippians, this is what Paul tells us. He says, so I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity. With one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unabounded joy. How does he tell us to live? In unity, and that scares the heck out of some of us, doesn't it? But my opinion's different than them. Well, lose your opinion. Because at the end of the day, your opinions don't change, to change God. You with me? It's okay for you to have an opinion. Like, it's okay. Like, I get it. I have my opinions. And mine are mostly right. Okay? Josh knows. He agrees with me. Just kidding. It's okay to have an opinion, but it's not okay to let that dominate a relationship with somebody. You with me? For, I was about to get ahead of myself, but it's okay. In the midst of pain, in the midst of darkness and conflict with, with joy, we are to live in unity. And here's the thing you've got to know about unity. Is unity doesn't mean uniformity. I'm not, I don't want you to be like me. I don't want to be like you. You with me? We're to be whose we are with the characters of Christ. So you be you, boo, with the character of Christ. You with me? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. What it means is we, we're working toward a common goal. We set our opinions and our preferences to the side, and we say, what is the goal? And if the goal is to reach people for Christ, and forget my opinion on doxology, and forget my opinion on tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-tribulation, and we're already all doomed, whatever. Let's push all that to the side and say, what can we do to reach people to the glory of God? How do we do that? It's how we live. Because here's the deal. It's okay to have disagreements with other people. It's not okay to discount others. You with me? Like, me and you're not going to agree on everything. And that's okay. I'm okay with you being wrong. It's cool. Okay? Just kidding. I'm wrong half the time. Okay? It's okay to have disagreements. It's not okay to discount other people. Period. Whether you agree with them or not. And that even goes with, that goes with politics. It goes, you name it. It goes with whatever. Just because you have a different opinion doesn't make you better or me better than you. 
what it makes us is let's find something to fight for together. Let's see what we have in common. See what we have in unity together. And all of us in this room as believers, we have one thing in common. That is Jesus, our Savior, who made us, made us sons of the King. It's okay to have disagreements. It's not okay to discount others. But this also shows us in, in, the, in, the, in a world that preaches independence, we actually need each other. Like, I need you guys. You need me. You need the person sitting next to you, even if their armpits stink. You need them. We, need, we actually need each other to have real joy because there's something about community that's important. There's something about gathering together and celebrating that's important. It brings joy. It builds up. Like being a part of something bigger than ourselves always brings us joy, doesn't it? Then when, you, when you're part, like I remember the first like, like first time I was like really into a football game and I'm in the crowd and I'm cheering. Like we felt like one person. Like I felt, well, it was really happiness, but it was this thing of like, like I'm a part of something that's moving something forward. The same way with the church, you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. It's unity. And as soon as that unity is broken, that purpose is broken, that goal is broken, that's why, that's why church has failed. That's why the church has failed a lot. Because we forgot what even Jesus' prayer in the garden of God bring them together, let them be one. It's important. But this tells us, and it's this, 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 this dirty, dirty fact is that the problem in believing and living like you're accountable only to yourself is not independence, it's self-indulgence. It's the truth. The problem in believing and living like you're accountable only to yourself, not unified with anybody, not in community with anybody, it's, it's not independence. It's not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, I don't need you. I mean, no, 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 it's self-indulgence. Look at me, look at, look at me. Look what I've done for myself. Look what I've built myself up. No, 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 no. First of all, who gave you the hands to work with? God. Who gave you the brain to think about that equation that brought, brought that answer? God, not you. Well, I studied real hard. Well, who gave you the ability to study, the brain to study? God. So it always will lead back to God. It's self-indulgence when you take credit. Self-indulgence when you don't do life with each other. And here's the thing. We are brothers and sisters. And for too long, we have argued and separated ourselves over meaningless things. Like color of carpets. What translation somebody uses. Guy's wearing blue jeans that has gauged ears on stage. He should be wearing a three-piece suit and looking off fly. I would look fly in a three-piece suit, y'all. But I'm being me with the character of Christ as best as I can. We, we, we argue over the meaningless things. And our call from Christ is to lead with love and joy. Because that's how we will be known. And if we're not known by that, then we're not following what Christ has called us to. You know, I know John 13, 35. It says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What will prove? Not if your doctrine's right, not if your theology's right, not if you have the biggest church building or the smallest church building or how many kids you have or what their accomplishments are. You're not going to be known by any of that to be his disciples. You're not going to be known to be a disciple because you're a preacher. You're not going to be known as a disciple because you get feed people on Fridays. You're not, not, no, no, no. You're going to be known as my disciples and how you love each other. 
how you care for each other. And this, change, this should change how we approach differences with people, which is always first assuming the other person has the best interest at heart, even if you believe they're wrong and you disagree with them. Now I know this. Philippians 2.3 goes on to say, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Who are you putting above yourself? Who are you living for outside of Christ? That's, 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 maybe that should pose the question. As I'm living for Christ, who else am I living for? Because if, if you're saying, myself, if I live for me, then you're not following Jesus. Jesus always laid down his life for others. Not only when he was doing ministry, but why he was on the cross. And if he was our standard, if he is our standard, how are we meeting up? Verse 4 goes on to say, let each of you look not only to his own interests. It's, not, it's okay to look for your own interests. There's nothing wrong with that. Build that thing, boo. You know what I'm saying? Like, do it. But also to the interests of others. As you're lifted higher, who else are you lifting with you? Who's standing on your shoulders to go before you? You with me? Always put others before yourself. But that is so countercultural to the way we live, the way the culture is, isn't it? You get the next thing. You go for the. You go for that job interview. You go do this. You go do that. You buy the next best thing. And as believers, Paul writes to us in this very next verse. And I love the way the Passion Translation says it here. It says, "And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, who's the example, Jesus." has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Let his mindset, whose mindset? Jesus's, become your motivation. Our minds have to be rewired from our deprived worldly state. And it's why Christ's life should be our motivation. His mindset should be our motivation. I mean, we are called Christians for a reason. The word Christian literally means little Christ. And if little Christ is the standard, is the lifestyle you're living a reflection of Christ's life? Well, you want to find out? If it's, if it's a reflection, I don't know if I really want to. See, I think this is, this is your favorite passage, isn't it, babe? Here we go. Philippians 2, starting in verse 6, it says this. Who, though... He, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if he's your standard, how are you living? Like that whole, even though he was God, he didn't, he didn't see equality with God, something to be grasped. Like he was God and he had the ability, like in everything, like, like, he, if, like he, he, he chose to live a humble, this is what this means, especially that first part. 
this tells us that Christ lived a humble life, putting others before himself, that even, that even though he didn't have to, like he was God, and he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove that title from me, at least the, the, what that, the accolades that could bring me, and you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on my hands and knees, and I'm going to wash people's feet. Like, and he didn't have to do that. Like even on the cross, the Bible says there was legions of angels waiting for him to say, come take me down. Like, he didn't have to do it in a sense of being forced to. He got to do it. That's what this means. Like, he humbled himself down and said, you know what? I'm going be, to become like my creation. I'm going to live in their world, and I'm going to show them that it is possible to have joy in the midst of pain, sorrow, and heartache, even though I don't have to. He humbled his life, putting others before himself, even though he didn't have to. And this tells us to have perfect joy is always to put others before yourself. Like, this reminds me of, and, uh, oh, yeah, she's in here. I remember when we, like a couple weeks ago, right before Christmas, when we went to Food City, right? We had to hand out the gift cards. I remember Lyric was my buddy. And I was a little concerned because I was like, I don't know how she's going to react. Like, she's like, she's like, Dad, give me, give me a card. I want to do a card. I was like, okay, I'm going to give you one of these cards. But like, in my mind, I'm going, don't screw this up. This is, this is big girl stuff. And I remember going to the first person and praying with them and then Lyric stopping me and going, her, her, her. Like, well, we better hurry because she's walking. We, didn't, didn't we like she so here goes Lyric running. She taps the girl on the shoulder, and and she and she and and just see just see Lyric humbly going, "Hey, I got this gift card for you, for you to put towards your groceries. And can I? Is there something I can pray with you about? Right? Like humbly, like you could tell. Like she was a little bit scared. I could tell. And this girl go, This girl goes, "Yeah, I have cancer." We pray for my cancer. Like, God, you gave her that one? <laughs> like, <laughs> really? <laughs> like, I don't even know if I would be ready to pray for somebody on that one. And here's Lyric who humbled herself and prayed for this woman. And I remember afterward going, her going, give me another one. I want to do it again. Because there's something about serving others, being hum like humbling yourself below others that just brings you so much joy. It's like sometimes, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure Brittany knows I do this, but sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm going to pay for this for people's groceries behind me. They can put this, put this $15 toward their, toward their bill. And just walking out. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like there's this, there's something that when you humble yourself to serve others, that brings us deepest of joy. Why? Because we have helped change somebody's future, even if it's just $5 off their bill. Even if it's just, I mean, I'm going to pick this trash up out of your yard. There's something, with, like if Jesus is our standard, if Christ is our standard, he humbled his life down even to giving his life for us. That tells us that true joy is found by lowering our, like, die. That's why, that's why, like, Ephesians would talk about, you know, yeah, wives be submissive, but also tells husbands to be submissive, even to the point of laying your life down for her like Christ did the church. That means... You're going to humble yourself lower than your wife. Because there's a joy that comes from that. 
to have perfect joy is to always put others before yourself. So with Christ being the standard, our, our example, and our motivation, how should we now live? There's the example. It says we need to have the mindset. His mindset should be our motivation. Here's his mindset. This is how he operates. So how, what does that look like for us? And Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2.12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, that's, that's a scary word, obey, obey. Have you have always obeyed, and that's like this, you think, do you think the people in Philippians have like continuously obeyed? No. I mean, we're humans, right? We're going to, but there's this sense of, there's this striving for, there's this sense of, you know, work, like, we're going to work, like, we're going to work to do our best to obey now that we've received this free gift of salvation that we didn't work for. Now that we are saved, we get to do this. We get to be a part of something. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not talking about you work toward your salvation. What that means, what that's meaning is you work out how this looks in your life. You're already saved. Clearly, he's saying, since you are, you're already followers, you're already obeying, you got to work this thing out. You got to keep constantly trying to do better, to live better, obeying the commands of God. You're going to screw up, but it's okay. You've always obeyed, so now, not only, not only as in my presence, going back, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as Christ is working and cleaning the mess up that's on the inside of you, your, your role now is to, to express that out. It's overflowing. That's why like when people talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, I cringe a little bit. Because yeah, it's personal, he's your savior. But it's not meant to stay with us. And that's the mentality that, that church has taught us really. Right? Like, yeah, it's personal. Like, he's my Savior, but it's not supposed to stay here. It's supposed to overflow out of us. For it is God who works, works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. When in church history has that ever happened? <laughs> right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How, how will they know that we're disciples of Jesus? How will we shine our lights? How will we love each other? Holding fast to the word of life. What is the word of life? John 1.1 In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among man. That's Jesus holding on to Jesus, the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am, I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, he's talking about if I die for your sake. Is what Paul's saying. Like, I'm in jail right now, and if I die because of this, guess what? I will rejoice because you know Jesus. You talk about having some steady fixed joy, y'all. 
Like, are you, would, you, would you be willing to write something like that? Like, yes, I'm going to go to Afghanistan, and I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus. I may be beheaded, but guess what? I will rejoice. Like, could you say that? <laughs> like, we're scared to talk about Jesus at work because we're afraid of getting fired and losing a paycheck, let alone our lives. That, that's neither here nor there, neither here or there. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Why? The question is why? The question is always why. In that, in everything we do, we we don't we, we do it with joy, not because we have to, but because we get to be something. Like we get the opportunity to do something. We get to be a shining light for the world. Most 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 of us approach our our spiritual lives with, "Well, I have to read my Bible today. I have to get my devotion in." No, 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 no. You get to do your devotion. Well, I have to go share my story with somebody. No, 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 no. You, you get to have a story to tell. Well, I have to go to church on Sunday morning. That's what you do in the South. No, 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 no. You get to go to church on Sunday. Well, I, go, I get to do this. I, I got to do that. I got to do this. I, got, I, guess I just have to do it. I'm all, no, 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 no. We get to be a shining light for the world. He has brought you into his story. That's why we should rejoice. Our friend Matthew says like this, your lives light up the world. Your, li- your life's going to be a light for something. It's, it's going to portray something, right? Either you're a believer or not. I mean, look at entertainment and look at music and look at news. Like your life's going to portray something. It's going to be a light for something. What is it going to be a light up? Your lives light up the world. Let others see you hide a city that stands on a hill. We're, we're supposed to be a beacon of hope and love. And I think for too long the church has been grumbling and planning, doing things out of, out of spite because they feel like they have to instead of being like hope is here. Joy is here. Joy is possible. It's all in what your life portrays. Remember all the way back from last week and the beginning of this, I said how you view your situation will be the expression your life portrays. How you view your current situation or circumstances will be the kind of light that you shine on that hilltop. You with me? I love Paul's next couple of verses. They're not very super spiritual. It's just like about how he how he talks about people that he's sending and the encouragement that he has. But here's the thing: what life are you living? Is it a reflection of Christ? Are you living humbly? Are you walking humbly? Are you shining your light to the world? But he goes on to say in 2.19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. I don't know if y'all know, but there's two books of the Bible that he wrote to Timothy after, after this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go, go with me because of Paul's life and how it has influenced Timothy. Now Timothy is going to be a light, a city on a hill. Who are you sending out? You with me? 17 people that reach 17 people that reach... 17 people. 
Hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. So he was sent by the church of Philippi to, to take care of Paul during this time. And now Paul's sending him back. Okay? For, for, for he has been longing for you all for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the, I, I am the more, more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. I don't know if he was driving Paul crazy or what, but there's some anxiety there, okay? So rejoice, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men. For he, ne he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Like, are we, are we doing everything that we can that it may look like we're on the verge of losing it all? Like, like Ephroditus. Serving others, putting others' needs in front of ourselves. If not, if not, then we need to rearrange our mindset. We need to have the mindset of Christ control. Let it be our motivation. Living humbly, walking with light, serving others. That's Philippians 2. All because of whose we are and what he has done for us on the cross. That saves us, sustains us, and completes us. We have those three things. We live humbly because really we have nothing in and of ourselves to, to, to brag about, right? <laughs> nothing. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Couldn't do anything. Can dead people do anything about their situation? No. It's not like, hey, Paul, just sit up. Like, you don't have to stay in the casket. No, no, no. He's like, we needed some intervention. And he intervened and sustained our lives and completes us. And with that, we live humbly with the people that, we, that we're around, that we live, work, and play with. We live humbly serving their needs. You may get that promotion, but maybe God's calling you to take that extra part of your check and give it to somebody else. You with me? Maybe you really need, need, maybe you really need a new car, but maybe God's saying, you know what, won't you help that person get a new car first? Well, that person needs a, a house. Once, once, once you instead of you know, that money you've been saving up to put as a down payment for you get a new house, once you give it to them for them a down payment for their new house. Like crazy, crazy stuff. Like crazy stuff. God may be, God may be saying that, or it could just be, hey, won't you pay for those people's groceries for a month? Won't you pay for that table next to you's food today? You know that waitress, even though she may not have been. Very good at what she did. Once you get, once you give her a fifty dollar tip today, I don't know what God would tell you to do. There's something about when we humble ourselves and throw ourselves lower than somebody else, brings us joy. But Derek, what if I really need that? If God's leading you to it, He'll get you through it. You hear me? It's okay. Whatever God's telling you to do to humble yourself, to serve somebody else around you, do it. Because you would want served way more than what you deserve.
Dear God, I want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity that, that we get to be a part of your story, that we get to be a light, that we get to serve humbly and walk in light, to be that city on a hill. And I pray that, that light that's being broadcast from the hilltop of Shift Church and the people that call Shift Church home as individuals and as a church is, is a thing of hope, love, and joy, and peace. So that people can see who you really are. Not any of the lies they've heard, not who they assume you are, but who you are. And you are a God of mercy and love and joy. You humbled yourself and became a man. And not only that, but a man that went to the cross, putting yourself lower than anybody else. So that we can have life. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Mean it. Next.